Welcome back. This is Andrew, and I wanted to bring to you something today that God was actually speaking to my own heart personally this morning. This was something very convicting to me. It was something very straight to my heart, and I pray that it will do the same to you, that it will go, and God will take this word and do whatever He wants with it in your life and my life, and that there will be much fruit from it. Today I want to talk about Samson, and I want to talk about the current situation that we are all finding ourselves in. Everyone knows that right now we're in a very difficult time. Our routine's been broken. The news is everywhere about coronavirus. Churches have been closed, not because of religious persecution, but simply because of social distancing, all sorts of things. People have moved to parking lot services, online services. It's just different. It's happened suddenly, and a lot of us have a lot more time on our hands right now. So whenever I go through Facebook, whenever I look around, I don't really see a lot of people posting about how they've been able to read the Bible. And this isn't everybody. When When I make these statements, I'm not saying this is everyone. So if it's not you, don't even worry about it. I just take this as encouragement. Also, just don't see a lot of people talking about sweet times of prayer. I see some, but I don't see a lot of people talking about how much they really miss gathering with the body of Christ at church. But what I do see are people completing projects. Now, I've completed one that was necessary to get done around my house, so praise God I could get that done. They can be necessary. I see people posting about videos they're watching on Netflix, and I mostly see articles about the coronavirus, as if it's not enough of all the news that we see everywhere else. All I see really, the vast majority is, these are the numbers of people, how to make safety masks, praising the medical community. We are so grateful to them for everything that they're doing right now and all the stress that they're under. But I just say, where is our church? And I don't mean my specific church, but the body of Christ. I see encouragement. I do see things of prayer, but the personal lives, our personal lives, I just am burdened and even just convicted myself about how I am at this time. And the questions I have are these. What will the church look like after it comes out of quarantine and is able to meet together again? Will everyone be there? Probably not. Will they be awake? And I don't mean physically. Will they be spiritually awake? Are they going to be on fire? Are they going to be excited? What will praise and worship look like? Are they going to be like, oh my goodness, I'm back. We get to fellowship once again. And I think there's going to be a lot of that, but who will we be missing? What will our spiritual temperatures look like? Will there be a tepid feeling of, well, we're back and well, you know, it was kind of nice to sit at home on the couch and, and watch from there. It didn't demand as much from me. Or even worse, will believers still be completing projects? Will they still be on Netflix and enjoying a new day of rest on Sundays? Instead of taking that time to be with the Lord, is it going to be doing the same things they did during quarantine? And will they tune in online at all? Now look, I am convinced. I'm convinced that God knows how to keep us. I'm convinced that He knows how to stir us up, how to convict us, and how to make us be like His Son Jesus. But I also know that He has given us, on the other side of that, a free will, where we are able to obey or disobey. And I am convicted of this. I am, I've personally struggled with private time with God. I have struggled. I have had to fight to get time with Him. What's amazing is I'm pretty sure if I look on my iPhone, if I were to look back and I was to look at my screen time now versus three and a half weeks ago, I believe I'd see a major jump in my time on my phone. But now if I take my time with God now, and if I had spiritual time screenshot and I could compare it to three and a half weeks ago, I believe I'd see a downtick because my, my routine's been broken and it's a struggle right now. And I'm going to tell you, it's been so easy to sleep in. Things are a little different. And that's exactly what I want to talk about today is sleeping.
And I want to look at the man, Samson. And if you're not familiar with Samson, he was a judge in Israel. He helped to rule Israel for 20 years. And this story, this factual historical story, comes from Judges chapters 13 through 16. Now, this is a man. uh, He was consecrated to God from his youth. I'll let you do some background reading there. Uh, But he was a man who was anointed by God's Spirit, and he was supernaturally strong. That's what Samson was known for was his strength. He was intelligent as well. He made up riddles. He was appointed by God to be a judge and a deliverer to Israel. And so there was a divine plan for his life, even from before conception, when God told his mother that she would have a son and that he would be a deliverer to Israel. And he performed many amazing feats in Israel as well. So he was a mighty man. However, there are some things that happened in his life. He fell asleep. He fell asleep and it cost him greatly. So picking up in Judges 14, 5 to 6, it says this, Then Samson went down with his father and his mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. I mean, he just ripped that thing to shreds. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So somehow they're, they're traveling there together. There must have been some space between them physically. And then there comes a lion, and he dispatches this quickly. Now, there's something very important about this story here. It's not just the special thing that happened, this miracle, where the Spirit of God came upon him and he ripped this lion apart like it was nothing. But in number 6-6, this is about the vow of a Nazarite. And that is also what Samson was, was a Nazarite. And they would let their hair grow out, the men, and they were dedicated to God and they were not supposed to eat grapes, not even the seed, not even the skin of a grape. But there was something else, and this is what it says in number 6-6. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. So the fact is, he didn't just go near a dead body. Samson caused this dead body of this lion. Miraculously, however, there was a sacrifice that should have been involved, the shaving of his head, the ceremonial cleansing to take place, because he had defiled the Nazarite vow. But that's not what he did. He didn't even tell his parents. Picking up in verse 7, it says, Then he went down and talked with the woman. He was looking for a woman there to be married to, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, to take her as his wife, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Remember that dead body? And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands, and he went on eating as he went. So he's eating this honey that was in this dead body, which he's not supposed to be around as a Nazarite, and he's now eating it. He's not only just touching a dead body, he's eating from this dead body. His sin is becoming worse. And he came to his father and his mother, and he gave gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. So now Samson is not only sinning himself, he's not only sinning even deeper by eating from a dead body he's not even supposed to be around, but now he's actually giving his own parent some of this honey from the dead body. He's involving them in sin, and they don't even know it. You see, he was a gifted man, but he had zero character. He had no integrity. And this is why it's so important for Christian leaders to have integrity because, listen, Christian leader, you and I, we can be gifted by God but lack integrity. We can be gifted and have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing in our lives, but if we don't have the fruit of the Spirit, then we are nothing. And that's what the book of Corinthians, and especially 1 Corinthians 13, is all about. So Samson, we're progressing the story a bit more, and he is uh, marrying this woman from Timnah. 
And in Judges 14, 14, there's a marriage feast taking place, and Samson, being the man that he is, he is going to try to wager, have a little bet, and get some changes of clothing from these people at this marriage feast, because, hey, they're not Israelites. I'm marrying this woman outside of Israel, and so why not, you know, get a little rich off of them? So Judges 14, 14 says, And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong same came something sweet. And it says in three days they could not solve the riddle. So they've been given a riddle. They can't get this in seven days, in one week. They owe to Samson. And so they are not able to solve it. But what they do is they they tell the wife of Samson, tell us now or we will burn you and your family. And so she begs Samson. He tells her the answer to the riddle. And the riddle is about the lion. It's about the sin. He not only did the sin, he not only got deeper into the sin, he not only involved others in the sin, but now he's making riddles about his sin. He's going deeper and deeper and deeper. He's just a lustful man. He has no self-control. He ends up losing that wife, and uh, the woman's father ends up giving her away to someone else. He gets angry about that, brings some judgment upon the Philistines. But he's just a lustful man with no self-control. And in Judges 16.1, it says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. And three verses later, it says in Judges 16.4, After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And I'm sure you've heard of Samson and Delilah. And this is where this name comes from. So we can see in his life, it's just one lust to the next, one romance to the next. It says in verse 5, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her, to Delilah, and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Samson has caused great destruction to the Philistines. He's been anointed by God to do so. And then we see the story unfold over the next few verses where Delilah is seducing Samson and they're always together now because he's involved in this immoral relationship. And she is calling out to him saying, tell me, where does your strength lie? Tell me. And he lies again and again to her. But what's so crazy is every time that Samson tells Delilah where his strength lies, she then attempts to do that. If it's cords that have that are brand new or new ropes that have never been on a man, somehow Philistines are upon him and he breaks these things as if they're nothing even though they've been been put upon him. It's obvious this man is not uh, he's not stupid. Cannot he see what Delilah is doing? Cannot he, can he not see what's happening? She's taking advantage of him. But the truth is it's as if Samson just didn't care. And things get worse. In Judges 16 and 13, it says, Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept... Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with a pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. So he was sleeping, and sin is creeping closer and having deeper effects in Samson's life. Before it was, tie me up this way with my hands, but now he's saying, my hair. He's getting closer to the truth. He's giving up himself, his spiritual strength, and I wonder, if that is happening to us in different ways during this time of quarantine. Judges 16, 17 to 21 says, And he told her all his heart, 
He eventually opens up all of his heart to Delilah and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. And I wonder perhaps if she was playing with his hair and caused him to fall asleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. So this is what I want to ask us, all of us, me, you, everyone who can hear me. Is the enemy sinking you to sleep? Is he playing with our hair as it were? Is Netflix, the news, or our hobbies, are they stealing our time with God? Little by little, day by day, is our spiritual strength being sapped? Is it being taken away from us? Are we allowing the enemy to make us go to sleep? Are the cares of this life and the hope that, oh, I just hope it'll be better in a month, and I'm going to hold out till then, until then I'm going to treat it like a holiday. Are we staying away from church and becoming sleepy? Sure, we can't go to the church house right now, but are, are, we, are we making it to the live streams? Are we making it to the drive-in services? Am I standing up? Am I lifting my hands? Am I clapping? Am I saying amen on this side of the TV? Am I doing everything spiritually that I can? Not just for show. My pastors can't see me. My leaders can't see me. But to God, am I giving myself to God? Am I reading? Am I studying? Or am I becoming sleepier? Am I praying? Or am I fellowshipping over whatever software you have or in the small groups that you can possibly have? Or are our eyes beginning to close? Is the enemy singing a lullaby to us saying, this is just for a moment, it's just a little rest, just a little nap. You've been a great Christian. It's okay to slack off just for a little while, just for a moment. It's just a season. Little do we know the spiritual Philistines are upon us. Our enemies, they're seeking our life, the enemy of our souls. But we can't see clearly because we perhaps are being lulled to sleep. Then all of a sudden the corona quarantine ends. Or whatever time, whenever you listen to this that you might be going through, any challenges, our spiritual strength, will it be drained? We thought we were just taking a well-deserved slumber, a well-deserved nap. But now we're strapped to a millstone. Those old sins that used to bind us that Christ had made us free from. Perhaps they are rearing their ugly heads at us again. Perhaps spiritual laziness. And myself, I struggle so much. If I could be honest with you, listener, I struggle to wake up and spend time with God so many times. The enemy will just say, oh, just a little more sleep. Oh, you're so tired. And then there's my day. God slips away. And then I'm bound with a heavy load of spiritual laziness, and it's hard to shake it off. And I just want to challenge us. I was so convicted of this this morning. Are we sleeping? You know, Jesus warned his disciples. He said that before the rapture, in Mark 13, 32 to 37, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey 
when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is not just some story being taught from and judges, though it is true, but Jesus himself was saying, stay awake, stay awake. This idea of falling asleep spiritually is all throughout even the New Testament. And to give you some ideas, what happens when I fall asleep, Andrew? Is it really that bad? Well, there was a man named Sisera who was a king, and he was an enemy of Israel. Also in Judges, in Judges 4.21 it says uh, that, you know, this man, he was, he was put on the run. He was running away from the armies of Israel. Israel is conquering him, and is, he runs away, and he's very tired, and it must be very hot outside. And, and in Judges 4.21 he comes to this woman's tent, and he says, Hide me here, please, until these people pass away. And this woman's name is Jael, and it says, But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him, to Sisera, and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. This woman literally drove a tent peg through his head into the ground. Now, that might not happen to us physically, but I wonder what might the enemy be attempting to do to us in our sleep. Falling asleep has real consequences. Or the ten virgins that Jesus spoke of in a parable. Five were asleep when the bridegroom came. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-6, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, the end times, we are in them. Jesus is coming for his church soon, and then will pour out wrath on this earth in the tribulation. We are being brought to a head, not just to preach and say, God's coming quickly. Jesus is coming quickly, but it is here. We can see it and we must stay awake even after the quarantine is over. Even after perhaps Corona is just a distant memory. It says, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, because we're children of light, because we're born again, have a relationship with Jesus by faith, so then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So are we awake? Shall we not wake ourselves up? And perhaps you have fallen asleep. Perhaps you feel ashamed. Perhaps time has been wasted. Perhaps years, months. Maybe you've been like Samson, and even long before this quarantine, your spiritual life has just dried up to practically nothing. You seem and feel like a failure, or perhaps you just say to yourself, you know, Andrew, you're right. Self, you know, I want to get up. I want to seek God. I I don't want this time to pass me by. Is there hope for you? Even after Samson has had his eyes gouged out, is there hope for him? In Judges 16, 22, it says, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Believer, it is not over. It is not over. Over. I don't care if you had a preacher or a pastor tell you you'll never amount to anything. That leopard will never change his spots. In Jesus' name, and Jesus by his own admission, by his own words, even the parable of that son who left, that prodigal son, he was welcomed back. 
He repented. He turned back to the Father. There is hope for us. We don't have to go through this time and not have a testimony. We can come out of this stronger than we went into it. And it says in Judges 16, 23, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given us Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. They're talking about Samson. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against him. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Here we go. This is for you, believer. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Do you hear that? You may have failed. We may have wasted time, but we have time left. If you're hearing this, you have time left. Simply turn to the Lord and he will strengthen you yet again. Call upon him in repentance and faith and say, Jesus, help me. You know, it's time to wake up. If we're feeling drowsy, we need to ask God to, by his grace, awaken me fully. I don't want to be half awake. You know how it can be on a Monday morning sometimes. I want to be awake as if I've had a big cup of coffee, I've exercised, I am fresh. I want to serve you, God. I want to see what you're doing in this hour. And I, want to, I don't want to just see it. I want to be a part of it. And maybe the enemy has made me sleep in the past and I've let him sing me to sleep. But I want to do now more, even if I've wasted years of my life and the next month, if that's all I have, than I've ever done. And I'm going to tell you, in Jesus, I believe he'll do it. I believe he will. He'll help his children and he will help us. He will do it for his glory. So God, I just give you this time. And I tell you, Lord, it has been a struggle, I know, for me. And I'm sure for many who are listening to me, God, I pray you'd help us to seek you daily and to trust and rest, not to just go do stuff to do it, not to just go read 10 chapters a day, not to just pray two hours a day, fill our schedules up with spiritual duties, but to get before you and hear, what would you have me to do, God, and to meet with you every day. And I believe, Lord, you're going to bring much fruit out of this for your glory. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Theology on Fire. Please subscribe so you won't miss new episodes. All of our information and contact details can be found at theologyonfire.org.